0: Can you smell it? Can you smell what the rock's cooking? Um, you can take that off now. My name is Joe Davis. I don't want to be compared to that guy for too long. So I'm the lead teacher here, lead teaching pastor here at the garden. And uh, I'm excited about today's lesson. Uh, it's about Moses and the Israelites and the Red Sea. And I've called it Stuck Between the Rock. Hence the video is Megan's idea. Don't get mad at me, okay? This I know it's a stretch, but she thinks he's good looking. Whatever, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but stuck between the rock and a hard place. How God's sovereign plan of deliverance is part of God's covenant. How God's sovereign plan of deliverance is part of God's covenant. We've gone through different stories and we've talked about the covenant he made with Noah and the covenant with Abraham and how that covenant was fulfilled in Joseph. And today we're going to talk about how that covenant was being fulfilled in Moses at the Red Sea. Just to give you a little background on the story, the Jewish people were in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves there. You have to understand something, that this was a huge part of Egypt's economy. So Egypt had big monetary reasons for wanting to keep the jewish people in slavery it was free labor that was building a lot of their stuff that we marvel at today and so this was not something that was going to happen easily but god decided that he was going to raise up a man named moses and some of you know the story that Moses was found, you know, because Pharaoh wanted to kill all the firstborn in Egypt and because, you know, uh, firstborn Jews in Egypt because he was afraid they would get too strong. And and Moses' daughter put him in the in the river. And, you know, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and adopted him. And so Fa- Moses was part of Pharaoh's house, and he grew up there with the best that the world could offer. He had all the money, all the things, all the education, and he had political influence. Basically, Pharaoh was sort of like his adopted granddad but God raises up Moses and after a while God says Moses you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and Moses says I can't even talk without stuttering how in the world am I going to do that and God says don't worry about it I'll do the work remember that phrase don't worry about it I'll do the work remember that it's very important So there's a series of plagues. Some of you know the story about the frogs and the mosquitoes and the locusts. And Can I just tell you something? One locust scares the heck out of me. (laughs) I mean, last week, or no, two weeks ago, my wife, she she pulled the car into the garage, and I went out like about an hour later, and this locust had climbed up out of underneath onto the sky. The windshield and it's just frightening and this big locust and i don't know if it flies it could right you know the big grasshopper you know it looks like you know and so i got some wasp spray <laughs> you know it shoots like 30 feet right i open the garage door and i'm like this and i just douse that thing it does nothing brand new car by the way my wife has okay so right i douse it again I empty, I'm not kidding you, know, I empty a can of spray on this locust. <laughs> Finally, it starts shaking around and, you know, convulsing, and then the leg comes flying, and then it falls over and dies, and I feel like the mighty hunter. But could you imagine if there were millions of those things, what I would do? I, uh, anyway. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go, but he pursues after them. He says, you know what, no, I can't let these Jewish slaves go. We need them for our economy. And then the Jewish people are complaining because Pharaoh's chasing them and then they come to the Red Sea and behind them is Pharaoh's army and in front of them is this ocean and they're complaining. Why did you bring us here, Moses? At least in Egypt we wouldn't be killed. At least in Egypt we'd have some sort of roof over our head. We'd have food to eat. It was better in Egypt than to be free here between pharaoh's army and the red sea and notice the jewish people weren't even looking for redemption they weren't looking for deliverance they wanted to go back understand this now the jewish people have seen all the plagues that avoided them. By the way, have seen the plague where all of the kid, the firstborn in Egypt, the Egyptian kids, they all die. But the you know the Jewish kids, they're fine. They've seen the locusts, they've seen the frogs, they've seen the water turn to blood. They see all this stuff, right? All the plagues, and then they see what happens, and now they're sitting there between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and they say, "We wish we could go back to our former life." it's better they weren't even asking for redemption they weren't even asking for deliverance they wanted to stay in their bondage enter moses here's what he says to them and moses says to the people fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the lord which he will work for you today for the egyptians whom you see today You will never see again, for the Lord will fight for you, and all you have to do is shut up. God, I can't even talk. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Moses, we're going to get killed. Don't worry about it. God will do it. You just got to be quiet. This is an amazing story, right? Let's look at the next part here. I'm going to read this passage to you, okay? Um, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, just taking a while, and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and waters being a wall formed on their right hand and their left, the Egyptians pursued them and went in after them into the midst of the sea, and all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. In other words, it got muddy. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from before Israel, and the Lord fight, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots, upon the horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea turned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians slid into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one remained but the people of israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them to their right and to the left so the story is amazing the story sits there and you see these jewish people they are between a rock the rock and we'll see that a little bit later and this terrible hard place of the egyptian army So I want to see a couple of things about God's deliverance of the Jewish people from the Red Sea. A couple of things about the deliverance we know from this passage. First of all, it was not earned, nor was it asked for. The deliverance of God's people from the Pharaoh, you know, from Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, was not something they were pleading for. It's not something they earned through merit. It wasn't anything other than God's grace. It was not earned. And it was definitely not asked for. As a matter of fact, what they wanted was to go back. It was unconditional, without strings attached. It was, in fact, part of the covenant with Abraham. Do you see how that works? Second thing, God's deliverance was overwhelming and thorough. He didn't just barely deliver them. He massively delivered them. And it took about 24 to 48 hours. I know some of the, the movies show that the ocean splits apart. You know, about 150 Jews run across and then like 20 horses. No, that's not how it happened. It took all night for the oceans to part. And it took all day for it to come back together. And by the time it's done, the last Jew comes across. On the other side of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army's probably what? Maybe a mile behind or whatever. <sighs> Reverse cannonball. Think about it okay next God's deliverance was part of the covenant it's important for us to understand as we look at the story of the Red Sea this is not separate from Abraham this is like one of the sequels to the story of Abraham it's part of what God did with Abraham it's part of what God did with Noah it's part of what God did with Adam and Eve it's part of what God did with Seth it's all the same covenant All throughout and it's God saying I made this promise I'm going to keep it even if you don't want it just be quiet and let me do the work can you imagine what the Jews are thinking at this point can you believe what has unfolded right before our eyes can you believe this I cannot believe just a few minutes ago, or a few days ago, we were ready to go back to slavery. And now we're on the other side of the sea. This huge, massive army, the strongest army in the world, mind you, has just been flooded and drowned, and we're free. What a difference a day of deliverance can make. All I know is a couple days ago, we were ready to die... And now, somehow, we were coaxed into walking across this ocean that split apart. We get to the other side, and now everybody's drowned. I cannot believe a difference that a day of redemption can make. That's a great story. But there's a role that Jesus has in the Red Sea. And we look at this. What I love about the Bible, the Bible is the best source of teaching when it comes to learning the Bible. So let's look at a couple passages in the New Testament first of all Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29 read this by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land but the Egyptians when they attempted to do the same were drowned both groups tried to do the same thing but one was saved the other was not find that interesting what is faith by the way what have we learned about faith Ephesians 2 what is it faith is a gift right and who gives the gift god gives the gift and why does he give it so that we don't brag about being able to have faith do you understand that right by faith by gift if you will the jews were saved when they crossed the red sea and when the egyptians tried to cross they were drowned let's look at another passage 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. I just put 3 and 4 up there, but I'll read 1 through 4. Listen to this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ Thus we see the title, right, between the rock and a hard place. It's very clear in this passage in Corinthians that Paul says the reason the Jews were saved at the Red Sea was because of the rock, Jesus Christ. Don't argue with me, argue with Paul. And he's dead, so you can't talk to him. Let's look at another passage. I didn't put it up there just for the sake of, of room, on the, but I'm going to read, read Romans 9, 14 to 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy upon whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. <clears throat> and that's an interesting passage because what we see when we think about Romans and about Pharaoh and about the jewish nation god clearly could have saved anybody he wanted to at that point but the scripture says by faith the israelites crossed the red sea and when the egyptians tried to cross they were destroyed so what does the red sea story teach us What are some applications that we can take from this story, this example, once again, of God fulfilling his covenant by rescuing them, putting them, by the way, in between the rock, which is Jesus, and a hard place, which is Pharaoh's army. (coughs) Let's uh, talk about Romans 3, 9 through 12. So, what it says. What then... Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What do we learn about that? Remember what happens at the beginning? Neither the Egyptian army nor the Jews were pursuing redemption. But God intervenes. First of all, we have to understand there are none that seek him. Even the Jews wanted to go back to Egypt. And Paul tells us in Romans that none of us start out seeking redemption. None of us start out seeking deliverance. But in fact, God is the seeker. There's this big movement that came around a few years ago called seeker-sensitive church. Right? We want to have a church that, you know, curtails to the seeker. Wait a minute. The scripture says no one seeks God. God is the seeker. God is the deliverer. God is the saver. God is the redeemer. So there are none that seek him. The Jews didn't seek him at the Red Sea. But what is interesting is God does control the process. You see, the idea of there being seekers outside of God is unbiblical. It is God that's the seeker. It is God who is the wooer. But God does control the circumstances in the process. Can you see how the Jewish people were drawn by circumstances to God? Can you see that? I mean, Moses was adopted... Moses has political influence. In comes the plagues and then Moses' leadership and then the deliverance at the Red Sea. The circumstances left no other reasonable or logical choice but for the Jewish people to walk in the way that God had prepared for them across the dry seabed with the Egyptians following close on their heels. There was no other choice really, right? Look, you can go and fight the army with nothing, or you can walk across this sea that I've parted for you. The choice is yours. You know what we call this? In Reformed theology, we call this irresistible grace. The belief that God in his time effectually, irresistibly, lovingly draws his people to salvation by overcoming their intellectual emotional and physical resistance through the influence of the holy spirit in spite of the fact that we've all used our free will to turn aside as roman says none seek him not any we all have turned aside but yet god calls us anyway so this is not i want to make sure you understand this is not god making us robots roman says we all made a choice But I want to give you a quote from a guy named John Gill. He's a famous preacher. He wrote a great commentary on the Bible, and he has some stuff that I disagree with, but this one was pretty good. This act of drawing is an act is is an act of power, but it's not an act of force. In other words, yes, God is all-powerful, and this irresistible grace is powerful, but it's not forceful. God in drawing of unwilling makes them willing in the day of his choosing. He enlightens the understanding. He bends the will. He gives a heart of flesh. He sweetly, I love that phrase, sweetly allures by the power of his grace and engages the soul to come to Christ and give up itself to him. Can you see how God did that for the Jewish people at the Red Sea? His grace became... Due to circumstances, even in the midst of them saying, no, no, go back to Egypt, back to Egypt. This is terrible. I hate where we are. I hate the circumstances you've put us in, Moses. What are you doing? Okay, we'll go. Oh, now we're saved. (laughs) That's deliverance. So what are the personal ramifications of of irresistible grace? I mean think about it okay what other logical choice did the Israelites have when they were between the rock which the scripture tells us very clearly the reason they had the faith to walk across the sea was because of the rock he says that in Hebrews they were between the rock and a hard place between life and death at the hands of Pharaoh But God brought about circumstances and situations through his sovereignty that caused grace, redemption, and deliverance of his people at his time to be an irresistible situation. So I'm going to stretch your thinking just a bit today. We were talking about this in our staff meeting on Thursday, our worship team meeting. And we were just talking through the ramifications of this irresistible grace. By the way, that's what we do every week, by the way. We get together and we talk about the music and we talk about the message. And Megan and Bruce and Mike helped me a little bit with my outline. And so it really is a team effort, right? Let me stretch you just a little bit about the gift of faith that you have received. If you're here as part of God's covenant and part of God's family with his people, if God's grace is irresistible, he has also put us between the rock And a hard place right so is it possible that avoiding deliverance was never an option for us from beginning to end was there ever a chance that pharaoh's army was going to destroy the jews because they decided not to cross over on the dry sea was that ever a possibility Is it possible that even in the midst of your darkest, most sinful, most disgusting, most animate rejection of God, most most animate choice of making, I'm going to live my life the way I want, I don't want to follow you, I want to follow my flesh. Is it still possible that God's grace was so sweetly alluring, the circumstances would be so overwhelming, that even with you, is it possible that not having deliverance was never an option? How does this foundation of the world concept fit into this story? How does this foundation of the world concept fit into our story? Here's what I mean. There are, just in the New Testament alone, there are 10 times where Paul and others, Peter, talk about God knowing us before the foundation of the world. How does that fit into the story of the Red Sea? Because you understand something, if God hadn't done what he did with Seth, what he did with Noah, what he did with Joseph, what he did with Moses and the Israelites, do you understand? God's covenant would have been broken, God becomes a liar, and he's powerless against Satan. Is it possible, guys, that Satan never had a chance against the Jews in Egypt? And never had a chance with us, his chosen people. I mean, one of the first things we learned about the covenant with Abraham, as we compared it to the Great Commission, is it is the same covenant. It's the same promise. It's God continuing to fulfill His promise to Abraham: "You're going to be a blessing to all nations." And He says to the Christian church, "Go therefore into all nations." teaching them everything I've taught you. It's the same covenant. Is it possible that Satan never had a chance against Seth, never had a chance against Noah, never had a chance against Abraham, Satan never had a chance against Joseph, and he never had a chance against Moses and the Israelites? And by relationship, never had a chance against us? Because grace is... Is irresistible why because God's covenant with Abraham and with us is not a conditional one it is unconditional it's irreversible it's irresistible and it's insurmountable There are these phrases that float out there in church world, and one of them is called eternal security. And the idea that a lot of people teach is once saved, always saved. But that's actually a misapplication of the definition of eternity, is it not? Eternity means what? Without beginning and without end. That's how amazing God's deliverance of you is. As bad as you are, as much as you wanted to reject God, even though you turned aside to your own way because none seek him, not even one, all have failed miserably, the scripture says, but God seeks you out, and God begins the process of sweetly alluring you with circumstances and processes and emotion and things like that. So let's end with this. If you are here and connected to Heavenly Dad through Jesus, it's not because you were so smart that you figured it out. Do you understand that, right? Because why? Faith is what? A gift. It's not a test. You don't study for it. It's given to you. It is because God lovingly, effectually placed you between the rock and a hard place and there was no escaping his deliverance or his unconditional covenant with his people guys here's one thing we know about god right he's going to fulfill his promise period